said, are you going to do something? And we said, yes. And they said, it's canceled. I said, canceled? Now on the news hour, the Canadian airline hitting major turbulence and how it's already impacting spring break travel plans. Plus, it doesn't matter where you are. Everybody needs health care. Fed up and fearful, hundreds gather on Vancouver Island to protest inadequate public health care. And last year it went up to $21.4 billion, and now, of course, it's almost $31 billion they are spending on this. The exploding price tag of the multi billion dollar pipeline owned by Canadian taxpayers that just keeps climbing. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Spring break travel season is just getting started for thousands of BC families on this Saturday evening. But the major financial turbulence troubling one Canadian airline is already adversely impacting travel plans. Jasmine Bala joins us now live in studio with more on this. Jasmine, really anybody booked to fly with Flair could be affected by the airline's financial issues. Yeah, that's right, Sarah. It's a commercial dispute that's now causing some turbulence for Flair Airlines and its passengers. Four of the airline's planes have been seized by a New York-based hedge fund in Lesser because Flair was reportedly behind on its bills. A source tells Global News the airline was days behind on payments worth $1 million to Lesser Airborne Capital. It was also given prior notice that Airborne wanted to terminate leases on the floor for planes. Flair says in a statement, payment has been initiated and it's engaged in mediation to remedy the situation. It says the action taken by the lesser is extreme and unusual, but an aviation expert says it isn't really uncommon. Leasing companies were more lenient during the pandemic, but with recent surges in travel, that's no longer the case. Today, it's a very different world out there. There's a shortage of airplanes, demand for seats and demands for flight are very high. Those airplanes have got some significant demand on them, and I can guarantee you that the rate that Airborne uh, charged flair for these airplanes, Airborne could get a better price today in a leasing market. With four planes not in operation, passengers are feeling the impact. A couple of Prince George was supposed to fly out to Tucson last night, and when they got to the airport, that was the letter they were greeted with. Their flare flight was cancelled with no notice. When you phone flare, they were very hard. Right from the beginning, they were they were horrible to get through to. We have tried to apply to get the refund of the flight and everything, and uh, you know, we're keeping our fingers crossed that uh, this will happen because uh, I don't know what position they're in right now. Airborne Capital declined to comment on the situation and asked for people who have flare flights coming up. The airline says it's activating three spare aircraft that it had planned to use in the summer. Sarah. Okay, something to keep an eye on. Thanks so much, Jasmine Bala. Well, it's a very different world out there. Pardon me. More travel woes to tell you about uh, this spring break. From the air to the water, there seems to be no smooth sailing this Saturday with BC Ferries also dealing with some major backlogs on a popular route today. A major mechanical issue with the engine of the Queen of Coquitlam, which services Horseshoe Bay to Langdale, caused two cancellations and subsequent sailing delays for passengers today. To bridge the gap, a 12-person foot passenger only water taxi was brought in for part of the day, but any motorists were left waiting, of course, at the terminal. 
So we've at this point parked our car, so we have to pay 35 bucks to park the car overnight. And uh, we're attempting to walk on. We've now been told that we can trade our walk-on ticket for a ticket to a water taxi, which should be leaving from the Horseshoe Bay dock momentarily. So they're taking 16 people at a time. Uh, there's a huge lineup waiting to trade that ticket in for the water taxi ticket. BC Ferry says customers who had reservations on those cancelled sailings will be contacted about compensation. On Vancouver Island, hundreds of people gathered today to express their frustrations and their fears surrounding a floundering healthcare system in places like Port McNeil, Port Hardy and beyond. Kristen Robinson now on the struggle of small communities grappling with reduced hospital services. This is a crisis. North Island residents pack a school gym in Port McNeil standing up for the few physicians working long hours under difficult conditions to keep the health care system going. It's not reasonable. It's not sustainable. Organizers say 300 people attended Saturday's rally, prompted by continual staffing shortages, forcing emergency room closures and reduced services in the region. Last year, we lost multiple physicians from Port Hardy. And this year, we're losing more. Island Health recently announced plans for enhanced staff recruitment and retention incentives and says it's committed to restoring services to regular hours as soon as possible. But the problem is province-wide. In Merritt, the Nicola Valley Hospital's emergency room was recently closed for the eighth time since Christmas due to a physician shortage. It seems that we're playing a, a game of whack-a-mole with each emergency department that pops up. Uh, with a closure or with a, with a reduction in hours. The BC Rural Health Network says communities need to be engaged for rural-specific health care solutions. We um, definitely have a system-wide problem in rural BC. There are challenges in um, some smaller communities where the opening of a facility depends on a relatively small number of people. A permanent fix is coming, says Adrian Dix to ensure all British Columbians receive health care when they need it. I think it's fundamental uh, to provide health care in rural BC. Residents of the affected communities say lives are on the line. I don't know about you, but I want to know that our hospitals are open. Kristen Robinson, Global News. And another hospital in northern BC is looking at potential service disruptions due to a lack of staff. Northern Health says Rinch Memorial Hospital in Hazleton may go on temporary diversion if nursing staff levels cannot be maintained over the coming days. The hospital serves the upper Skeena region, home to about 4,000 people and a large indigenous population. For Hazleton, the closest hospital, if it goes on diversion, will be almost an hour's drive away to Smithers or an even longer trip to Terrace. Well, today marks three years since the COVID-19 outbreak was declared a global pandemic, and many of us are still realizing how much of our world has permanently been altered and is still changing. Travis Prasad has more. It was March 11, 2020, when the World Health Organization made it official. COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. The world watched as case counts climbed and public health measures were brought in. A window to flatten the curve of the epidemic is narrow. Three years later, the virus is still here. It has been a long and challenging time, and I know it has affected all of us across this province, across this country and globally. In the weeks and months since 2020, the understanding of COVID-19 infection and treatment has frequently evolved. 
Aviva Philip Muller explores the marketing of science and says changes in data have contributed to a distrust of science and rejection of facts. But a lot of people don't sort of realize that that's how science goes, that, that science doesn't necessarily find one solid answer and that's the answer forever. It's constantly revising itself, or at least that's how it should operate. COVID-19 also shining a light on the gaps in healthcare. The strain of three years of the pandemic has been exceptional and our healthcare workers have done extraordinary work. The concerns that we've had, we've been voicing that for decades. From outbreaks in long-term care to the ongoing capacity and staffing issues at hospitals. If there's one thing that this pandemic has shown us is that we need to strengthen the healthcare system, listen to those of us on the front line from the time we start making noise. And making noise is what the anti-COVID vaccine and restriction crowd has done many times in the last few years. The protests appear to have died down, but the pandemic presses on. The province will roll out another booster shot campaign next month. Because this virus is going to be with us for the foreseeable future. Travis Prasad, Global News. And firefighters in two separate cities responded to a pair of early morning fires, including one that was fatal. In Surrey, crews responded to reports of smoke in an apartment building on 104 Avenue and 133rd Street just after 8 o'clock this morning. They managed to quickly contain and put out the fire in a first floor unit, but a search later found one person dead inside. Police are now investigating the cause of death in this case. The fire department says there were also no working smoke alarms in the unit. In East Vancouver, a fire engulfed a suite in an apartment building on East 5th Avenue around 5 o'clock this morning. The fire department says three people were taken to hospital, including a young child with smoke inhalation. Ten others in neighboring units were displaced because of smoke damage. It's believed to have been accidentally caused in this case with unconfirmed reports of a battery-operated bike being the source. They found three occupants that were inside the suite. Uh, one occupant had third-degree burns, the second occupant had second-degree burns, and the third was a child that had smoke inhalation. Crews reacted and brought the kids out and the patients out to, uh, for medical attention. They knocked it down. Uh, at this time, it's still under investigation with our fire investigators on scene investigating. Uh, it's a possible accidental fire. And there is no, uh, there was no sprinklers in the building, but there is in the parkade, but the smoke detectors and alarm system did activate to get the rest of the occupants out. We now know the man critically injured during a recent arrest attempt on Vancouver's downtown east side is a convicted killer. 25-year-old Maximus Hayes was wanted on a BC-wide warrant after failing to appear in court last month on a breach of probation charge related to a manslaughter conviction. On Thursday, BC's police watchdog says the Vancouver police were at the Patricia Hotel SRO to make an arrest. While officers were in the hallway, the IIO says surveillance shows the suspect climbing out of the room third floor window to evade arrest. Hayes fell to the street below and is now in critical condition in hospital. In 2021, Hayes was sentenced to 18 months in jail and two years probation for the fatal stabbing of an overdose prevention site worker at St. Paul's Hospital one year earlier. Friends of the victim, 41-year-old Thomas Donahue, say he was passionate about helping people and he'd saved more than 100 lives. And Coquitlam RCMP are searching for a man wanted on a BC-wide warrant after he allegedly assaulted a dog and its owner. 
Police say just after midnight on March 4th, 24-year-old Austin Durocher assaulted a female and her dog at a building on Glen Drive near Johnson Street. Both of the victims suffered non-life-threatening injuries. The suspect at large has been charged with assault, uttering threats, and causing pain and suffering to an animal. Durocher is described as 5'5", with short brown hair and hazel eyes with a slim build. If you see him, do not approach him and call police. A repeat offender accused in a violent random attack last fall is now charged with arson. 35-year-old Mohammed Majidpour is accused of torching a car on Richard Street in downtown Vancouver in late September. Hours earlier, he's accused of striking a 19-year-old Asian woman over the head with a pole and using a racial slur. Majidpour was arrested after a public appeal and released from custody. He was arrested again in late October for an alleged theft little more than two hours after his release from jail. Majidpour, who has a long criminal history in this province, remains in custody for a court appearance on March 22nd. The Crown has applied to revoke bail on the assault with a weapon charge related to the stranger attack. It has been one year since a man was gunned down in a North Vancouver parking lot and police are asking anybody who knows who he is responsible to come forward. 34-year-old gangster Malad Rahimi was shot several times in the Great Canadian Superstore parking lot on Seymour Boulevard on March 11th of last year. The afternoon shooting shocked shoppers and shut down the parking lot for hours. The next day, the suspect car, a dark blue Mazda 3, was found on fire on Tempe Crescent in the upper Lonsdale area. Anyone with information in this case is asked to call IHIT. And a plea tonight from Burnaby RCMP to help find a missing 44-year-old man. Zhao Benson Yang has not been seen by his family for quite some time, but they have routinely kept in touch through email that is until recently. He is described as 5'7", around 120 pounds, with black hair and brown eyes. His family is concerned for his well-being and ask anybody with information to please call police. If you know of his whereabouts, call police or Crime Stoppers. Avalanche Canada has revealed more details about the fatal avalanche that killed three German tourists near Invermere last week. A group of nine heli skiers and one guide from RK Heliski were skiing in the Copper Crown Mountain region on a run called Too Bad About the Skiing near Panorama Mountain Resort. The guide was regrouping higher on the run when the actions of the fifth person in the group ended up triggering an avalanche above them. The entire group was swept into a sparse forested area next to the larger avalanche path. Two people were fully buried and were pronounced dead at the scene. Three other guests, as well as the guide, were partially buried and sustained critical injuries. One of those skiers later died in hospital. One other person sustained non-critical injuries. Avalanche Canada says the avalanche was 300 meters wide and 75 centimeters deep. Coming up, the multi-billion dollar bill that just keeps on ballooning. When Kinder Morgan first proposed this pipeline, it was $5.4 billion to construct. It is almost six times that amount now. The nearly $10 billion cost increase to a polarizing pipeline owned by Canadian taxpayers, the new price tag for the Trans Mountain Project Plus. I thought a new challenge would be to go play boys and see how good I could do. Girl power between the goalposts. Meet the teen hockey phenom giving the guys a run for their money from behind her goalie mask. That's coming up. Stay with us. The cost of the polarizing expansion of the Trans Mountain Pipeline just keeps on ballooning. 
by the billions. As Paul Johnson reports, the total bill is now expected to be nearly $10 billion more than last estimated. Canadian taxpayers are getting hosed on the Trans Mountain Pipeline. If that sounds to you like talking points from a right-of-center taxpayers group, you'll be forgiven. Climate campaigner Peter McCartney acknowledges the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion makes for some strange bedfellows. This government has cut a blank check for this pipeline as a gift to the oil and gas industry. Whether the check is actually blank may be up for debate. But Friday's announcement from Trans Mountain made no mention of an upper limit on the staggering cost overruns. When the Trudeau government bought the pipeline in 2018, the expectation was the project would come in at under $10 billion. That quickly jumped to 12.6, then 21.4, and now $30.9 billion, with a year of construction still left to go. $31 billion could have built a lot of public transit. It could have built a lot of renewable energy. It could have built a lot of affordable housing. Trans Mountain didn't respond to our request for comment in time for this report. But Friday's announcement blamed the ballooning costs on things like inflation, unexpected archaeological discoveries, and the technical challenges caused by flooding and wildfires, widely attributed to the very climate change that's behind McCartney's opposition to the project. It's deeply ironic to me that it Climate disasters are one of the main reasons that we've seen uh, the overruns on this project. Trans Mountain says they'll be looking to borrow the extra money they'll need. The Crown Corporation says the twinning of the pipeline is now 80% complete. Paul Johnson, Global News. It is still unclear how much sewage seeped into the Capilano River after a leak earlier this week. The District of North Vancouver reported the sewage leak from a private property Monday. According to the B.C.'s Environment Ministry, the Squamish Nation says it wasn't informed until Friday. We know the sewage got into the river through a storm drain outfall pipe, but the amount of contamination is still unknown. Water samples from near the outfall pipe are now at a lab for testing, while more samples from the Squamish Nation will be delivered to that lab on Monday. BC conservation officers helped rescue a 60-year-old miner who became stranded in a remote area near Quenelle because of a winter storm. The miner had gone out to his claim eight days before he was found, and he was four days overdue to return. He did have a trailer for shelter, but snowfall meant he wasn't able to drive out with his Jeep. Three officers were able to find him and bring him to safety on a snowmobile. The conservation officer service says the man is all right, but with another winter storm on the way, things could have turned dire if he hadn't been rescued. Coming up, it's that time of year again to spring forward. Alberta is one hour difference from us. Does that mean we don't do business with Alberta? We still do business with Alberta. Love it or hate it, daylight savings time is here, reigniting the debate around if it should even happen at all. Plus, the Code of Conduct Review coming to a city near you. The new provincial guidelines for municipal operations in the major BC city set to vote on it next week. We'll explain after the break. Municipalities across the province are expected to discuss either implementing a code of conduct or reviewing what is already in place in their city in the coming months. And as Victoria Famia explains, Kelowna is already getting started on a new provincially mandated process next week. Kelowna City Council is set to discuss introducing a code of conduct Monday morning, which would be a first for the city if it gets approved. 
This will give the public more confidence on knowing parameters are within which their elected officials work. According to a report from the city clerk, the code of conduct will establish shared expectations for how council members should conduct themselves while carrying out their duties and responsibilities. This will apply to interactions with each other, city staff, the public and other organizations, including during council meetings and when performing other duties as a member of council. But it's important to have because we all know what the goals are, goalposts, where the goalposts lie. We all know what we can do, what is expected of us. After all, we are the face of the city, so we have to all be on the same page when we present ourselves. Councils across the province are now required under the community charter to consider whether to establish a code of conduct or whether to review an existing one within six months of its first regular meeting after a general election. Other municipalities like Vernon began discussions in January about implementing a code of conduct, and Armstrong brought in an official one late last year. As of now, Kelowna City Council has workshops discussing right and wrong. So we're well aware of uh, what the code of conduct is, but this really formalizes it. And so I welcome this discussion. Other policies that relate to responsible conduct may be included, and proposed areas the code could cover include the use of social media as an elected official during meetings, council gifts, council members meeting with developers, security of corporate assets, including digital, and election activities. Currently, Kelowna City Council does not have a code of conduct and is required to consider establishing one by May 14th. And if one does get approved, city staff would then prepare a code of conduct for council's review. Victoria Femia, Global News, Kelowna. Well, here's one way to raise funds for health care. UBC med students took part in a run for rural medicine in Vancouver's Jericho Park this afternoon. Three, two, one, go! The annual run raises money in support of the nonprofit Hope Air, which provides meals, rides, travel, and accommodation for Canadians who need health care far from home. The initiative is run by UBC med students passionate about helping Canadians access medical care. The majority of people that we serve are here in BC. Yes, yes, uh, Prince George, Kelowna. You know, some people have to travel 13 hours driving just to get the care that they need. And that shouldn't be, that shouldn't be the way. So <laughs> we, we provide the travel and accommodations that people need to get safely to their health care. In the last two months, Hope Air provided 2,000 travel arrangements for Canadians in need. Coming up, Yvonne and Barry are here, plus living proof that age is just a number. To you. Meet the Vancouver Island centenarian celebrating a remarkable milestone in style. That's after the break. Stay with us. You're watching Global BC. Welcome back. A reminder now to spring forward tonight and change those analog clocks if you have them as most of the province switches to daylight saving time this weekend. And once again, that is igniting the evergreen debate of whether we should change the clocks at all. As Richard Zussman reports, it appears to all depend on our neighbours to the south. It's a tale feeling as old as time itself. 
Should BC get rid of seasonal time changes? Instead of springing forward to act on permanent daylight savings time, the Premier is falling back on tired excuses. Four years ago, the province passed legislation to end the twice-annual practice with a catch. BC would only change if Washington, Oregon and California did the same. The bill is there. We don't need permission from anybody now. All Mr. Eby has to do now is enact it. The U.S. Senate has passed a bill to allow those American states to stop the time change. And the U.S. House of Representatives is now on the clock with no timeline on when or if they'll even debate the issue. One of the things we've uh, said is we're uh, going to work in partnership with uh, um, uh, the United States, in particular, the states down the western coast, as well as uh, the Yukon, to make sure that we move uh, in sync. Permanent daylight saving time would mean in the winter months, darkness later in the morning and light in the late afternoon. BC's neighbor to the north, Yukon, decided to go ahead with the change and is now on permanent DST. Alberta is one hour difference than us, and we still continue to do business with them and there's no problem. They are one hour different. So we really need to get off of that excuse. There are some places in BC, in the Peace Region and Kootenays, where they don't change the clocks. For the rest of the province, enjoy that one hour less of sleep on Sunday. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Okay, so we know it will be a little bit lighter tomorrow evening, but what will the weather be like? Meteorologist Yvonne Shell joins us now with a look at the forecast, Yvonne. We got a bit of an unsettled day ahead, but we are going to be tracking an atmospheric river, and I'll have more on that and what that means in just a moment. Thanks, Sarah. Good evening, everyone. Temperatures are currently sitting at 8, and we've got an easterly wind at 9 kilometers per hour. Plan as we get in through the day tomorrow, it'll be mainly cloudy, a few isolated showers, but the bulk of the moisture is going to start to move in as we get in towards the evening and that's what we'll be tracking some of the heavier rain. Here's a quick snapshot of what we're seeing. We've got a bit of precipitation right across the island. We may see it along the west end, so it'll still be unsettled as we get in through tonight. But in behind it, here's the weather maker and system that is going to push in, and we've got some active weather for both the north and central coast. Here's the bulk of the moisture along the central coast continuing in towards tomorrow. We do have a snowfall warning that is in effect. Haida Gwaii is also impacted by that, but then we are going to see that heavier rain move in. That'll be for tomorrow night for all areas along the south coast and the snow is going to intensify. If you're traveling along the mountain passes, we'll start to see that pick up and it'll continue all the way in towards Tuesday morning. The areas of concern with the snow forewarning along the central coast, up to 10 centimeters high to Gwaii at that range with a special weather statement between 5 and 10. And we do have a special weather statement if you're traveling along the mountain passes. A significant amount of snow, Kootenai Pass, the Rogers Pass, as well as the Coquihalla, all included within that or we could see anywhere between 15 and up to 25 centimeters by Tuesday. Snapshot, so the Sea to Sky also accumulating snowfall tomorrow night. Five and up to 10 centimeters. It's the Coquihalla between 10 and 20 and then higher mounts right along the Rogers and Kootenai Pass. So you'll want to check in with drivebc.c for the latest road conditions. One of the model forecasts showing us the rainfall. We could see anywhere between 20, a few spots closer to 30 millimeters. And this really starts to pick up towards tomorrow evening. A bit of a soggy start. We've got spring break and I'll have that forecast in just a moment. Inland with a few isolated flurries, much of the central interior, it'll be light. The southern interior, so it's really late in the day for tomorrow that the heavier precipitation 
precipitation and snowfall is going to start to develop and continue to fall in the coming days. Along the south coast, higher elevations for the northern and western regions of the island, even inland for Port Alberni, could see a few wet flurries. Lower mainland, we are going to be tracking that instability, but the bulk of the moisture in action starts to move in towards the evening hours. Rain and heavy at times, and yes, before we go to bed this evening, daylight saving time, we are going to need to set our clocks one hour ahead. Start of spring break so far Monday, Tuesday, a few showers in the mix, but some bright spots midweek, Wednesday, Thursday, and warming up into the double digits. Sarah? Time to spring forward. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Okay, how is this for proof that age is just a number? A centenarian and a Second World War veteran living in Victoria, Albert Middleton, is celebrating his 108th birthday today. One, two, three, cheers! cheers. He looks fantastic. That is a celebration that definitely calls for champagne. Middleton is one of the oldest Second World War veterans alive in Canada. He joined the Air Force in 1943 and served overseas. Middleton now lives at a long-term care home in Victoria where his big birthday was celebrated in style today. A 108-year-old man, is they're long and far between. You never expect to see that. And uh, it's, it's fantastic that... At 108, he, he knows me. You know, that's what I was worried about. I'm glad Wayne came this trip. Wayne hasn't seen Dad in four years. And I come about every six months just to check on Dad. Even at 108 years young, Albert's children say he's still got a really great sense of humor and a great voice as well. He loves to serenade anybody who will listen. Happy birthday, Albert. What a milestone. And wow, he really does look <laughs> remarkable. Looks Amazing. like a great party. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Enjoyed of, his beer there, I believe. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. champagne. And champagne, yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of good company, hi, both of you. We just heard about weather and daylight <laughs> savings. How about sports for today? Busy yeah. day. I was going to say there was a crazy hailstorm by our mm -hmm. house in Surrey. That was very, uh, very strange. It covered the ground. Yeah, we got, uh, well, we'll be on the ice looking ahead to the Canucks game against Ottawa. But the Whitecaps were in action earlier at BC Place. They, they did win 5-0 in that uh, Champions League game earlier in the week. So a lot of optimism. They could carry that over. Not a bad effort. They did get a point, but still looking for that first MLS win. So we'll have that as well when we come back. Okay, sounds good. Looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. Thanks both. Coming up, using virtual reality to tackle racism. I've been in races and races and training before, and it's been a bunch of people either online or in a room where nobody really feels comfortable talking. The new tool to fight unconscious bias that's the brainchild of a Toronto father. That's after the break. Stay with us. One third of Canadian children are at risk of going to school every day on an empty stomach, and being hungry makes it harder for them to learn. That's why Global News is partnering with Toonies for Tummies to provide nutritious meals to children in need in your community. Please donate today. Canadian Educator has developed a virtual reality tool to help us all better understand the complexities and the real-world realities of racism. Here's Farah Nasser with more on the potential for immersive technology to drive positive change. Over the last few years, there's been a lot of talk about racial justice, but real and difficult change still needs to happen. One Toronto father specializing in education and technology wanted to see if virtual reality could help with anti-racism training. A classmate asks your Asian friend to tutor him for his math exam because they just know math, am I right? Microaggressions, bias, and blatant racism. A deal? Yeah, that's him. He's so touchy about his name. This is what Michael Avis hopes VR can help change. 
I've been in racist and racism training before, and it's been a bunch of people either online or in a room where nobody really feels comfortable talking. And that's a real challenge. So Michael teamed up with Body Swaps, a VR and AI company based out of the UK. And what they developed was programs to tackle privilege and unconscious bias. It's called Let's Talk About Race. And it allows participants to practice pointing out and calling out discriminatory remarks in a safe space. So I'm not sure you understood maybe the, uh, the meaning of what you said. It then gives you tips on language to use in real life situations. Virtual reality is very good at putting you into that situation and feeling a visceral empathy or feeling a connection. So if you can combine that empathy and that emotional connection with practice, that's really where you have the really effective tool. And there are other VR training tools available. While experts maintain this technology will not solve racism, data has shown that users changed their perspective and were open to having hard conversations about racism after certain VR experiences compared to before. To learn more about the role VR could play in breaking down barriers, I hope you'll join us on The New Reality, Saturday at 7 p.m. on Global. Farah Nasser, Global News. Coming up, Barry's back with a busy day of sports highlights, plus girl goalie power. We just picked the best players, and regardless of the name on the back, we wanted to build a team that we thought could compete. Meet the teen hockey star moving the goalposts for girls in sports. That's coming up. Stay with us. Don't miss the world-famous Monster Jam coming to the Pacific Coliseum. Experience full-throttle family fun where world-class athletes compete in their supersized trucks doing incredible stunts, including the legendary Gravedigger, Max D, and more. Bring your home and outdoor renovation ideas to life at the BC Home and Garden Show. Chat with trusted experts ready to help you, whether it's a DIY project or a full renovation, discover new ideas and inspiration for all your home projects. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. Global BC Community Hub. Promote your event. Build your community. Global BC Community Hub, bringing your worlds together. Welcome back. Barry's back. Mm -hmm. Whitecaps game today. Yes, they've mm -hmm. uh, been busy this week. Of yeah, course. no they kidding. played midweek, had a good result, trying to follow mm -hmm. it up today. Thanks, Sarah. The uh, Caps were looking for win number one of the young MLS season. They had blown a pair of 1-0 halftime leads. Now, they did win big 5-0 uh, middle of the week over Honduran side Real España to give them some much-needed goal-scoring confidence. Now, with that transfer over this afternoon against Dallas, Brian White, one of those who scored in that 5-0 win, but uh, not a good start for the White caps in the fifth minute, ball into the box, headed in by Sebastian Ibiagua. No chance for the uh, Caps keeper Takaoka, 1-0 Dallas. Dallas back for more, but Takaoka with the save over uh, from Paul Areola. 34th minute off the throw-in. It looks like Ryan Gauld knocked that in, but upon a further review, it was actually Paul Areola who scores into his own net. Caps will take that friendly fire. Gauld with a uh, smile over that good fortune. 1-1 at the half. Early second half, Gauld with a chance to give them the lead, but just misses the far side with the left foot. It's 1-1 still. Then the Whitecaps newcomer, Sergio Cordova, turns and fires, but uh, well saved by the Dallas keeper. Cordova coming on as a second half substitute. Vanny hoping his team can convert those chances. That's been a problem this year. Whitecaps keep coming. Ronko Veselinovic across the goal, but just out of the reach of Cordova. It ends 1-1. So Vancouver's slow start in MLS continues. 0-2-1, still looking for that first league win.
we could have probably scored a couple goals. They maybe had a few chances. So um, I think overall the tie is maybe the most deserved um, results. But again, would we have liked to obviously win the game? Yes, uh, especially at home. Um, whenever you get a chance to, to beat a good team, uh, you should you should try and capitalize, especially at home. And um, but yeah, it's a, it a point, and we'll take it. And you know, like I said, we're on the board, and hopefully we continue to roll now. The Canucks go for a season-high fourth straight win tonight against Ottawa. The Senators had a horrible start to the season, just like Vancouver. They were near the bottom of the standings with the Canucks for the first couple of months, but Ottawa's been on a roll. 13-4-1 in their last 18 to get right back into the Eastern Conference playoff race, but the Canucks are playing their best hockey under Rick Tockett right now, so it should be a good one. Highlights tonight at 11. NHL tonight, Connor McDavid pumped up to be playing Saturday night in his hometown against the Leafs. McDavid Warp speeds even in the warm-ups. Leafs got an early one, but the Oilers answer. 22 seconds later, the newcomer Matthias Ekholm, the former Nashville Predator, his first goal as an Oiler, ties it up 1-1, and then McDavid on the rush, dishes off to Evander Kane, who then scores on the wraparound. Got some help there from Mark Giordano, who may have put it in his own net. McDavid's assist gives him 125. Number one, of course, in NHL scoring. And then McDavid on the attack. Look at that lateral movement. Just blows by the D-man and then beats Matt Murray between the pads. 55th of the year for McDavid on pace for 67. 3-1 Oilers. But then it all falls apart. Ryan McLeod starts it with that bad pass. Mitch Marner intercepts and then check out the moves to beat Stuart Skinner posting in. And that would start a three-goal and three-minute span. This goal by John Tavares made it 4-3, and the Leafs now lead 6-4 very late in the third. Surrey's Adam Svensson has taken his game up a couple of notches this year. It started with his first PGA Tour victory a couple of months ago at the Valspar, and he's kept up that level ever since. Today at the Players' Championship, which is considered the fifth major on the PGA schedule, Svensson was the leader through 36 holes. Now, to win a prestigious event like the Players would vault the 28-year-old Svensson into the upper echelon of the world's best. And he played in the final group alongside world number two Scotty Scheffler and uh, Scheffler got off to a hot start. Svensson did his best to keep up. Beautiful approach shot here on the par four sixth. Just to a few feet. Made that for birdie. Got back to nine under par. Just two off the lead. Now, meanwhile, at the iconic 17th Island Green, England's Aaron Rye. Perfect conditions today at TPC Sawgrass. And the players attack this pin on a hole that can be disastrous with all that water. But check out Rye. I guess that's perfect if it's a hole in one. He went birdie, eagle birdie to finish his round. He's tied fourth at nine under. Meanwhile, Svensson in big trouble at the par 4 14th. That's uh, already his uh, second shot from the rough standing in the water, and it gets worse as he finds the bunker. And then out of the bunker, it gets even worse. Hits it thin, blasts it into the gallery, and he would end up making triple bogey. He had the third worst round of the day at three over, so he's now tied 14th uh, at six under alongside Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin. Scotty Scheffler, meanwhile, alone at the top, finishes his round with a birdie. He's got a two-shot lead at 14 under. A record low-scoring day today. Scheffler took advantage. Svensson did not, but he's got Sunday to try and get back into it. Tennis from the Palm Desert in California, Indian Wells, Felix Ojealiasim of Canada, the eighth seed taking on Spain's Pedro Martinez. Felix had 14 breakpoint chances in the first set before he finally cashed in here, and he would uh, take that first set in a tie break. 
So now he's got a bit of momentum. He's feeling it. Second set, also tight, tied for all. But again, Felix elevating his game at a critical point in the match, loads up the forehand and rips it inside the line for the clean winner. And Felix Oje Aliasim on his way to the third round at Indian Wells as he wins 7-6-6-4 over Pedro Martinez. Now on the women's side, Montreal's Leila Annie Fernandez taking on American Emma Navarro. Fernandez, the number 30 seed in the tournament, had a strong opening set. Nice deep approach there, gets to the net and uh, puts the lefty smash away, took that first set 6-2. Second set was closer, but Fernandez broke Navarro in the ninth game and then served it out, digs out the volley at net and then finishes with the smash. Solid day's work for Layla, 6-2, 6-4. Fernandez off to the third round. Bianca Andrescu on court right now, lost the first set, but she is leading in the second. Breyer going on from London, Ontario with a 1-2 page playoff. Winner goes straight to the final. Defending champ Brad Gushu against this man, Manitoba's Matt Dunstone, who went 8-0 during the preliminary round, and he shows why he's undefeated. Look at that beautiful raised double to score two, and right now it's 4-4 playing the 10th. Again, winner to the final. Loser gets another chance in the semifinals. English Premiership, second place Manchester City on the road at Crystal Palace. No scoring late second half until... Ilke Gundawan gets stepped on in the box. Penalty awarded to Man City. The big Norwegian Erling Holland will take it. Cooley finds the corner, his EPL leading 28th goal. City win 1-0, just two points behind first place Arsenal, who play Fulham tomorrow. And Bundesliga today, Alfonso Davies and Bayern Munich hosting Augsburg. Bayern up 4-2 late when they get an insurance goal from Alfonso Davies. Fantastic finish there. That's his first goal in the Bundesliga in over two years. One of the best uh, defenders in the world right now. Doesn't need to score with that lineup, but it's a beautiful goal. 5-3 the final. They lead the Bundesliga by two points. And BC High School Boys Championship Saturday. Going on at Langley Event Center, and we'll have highlights of the men okay. or the boys for a Fleetwood Park Semiamu tonight at 11. Sounds good. Looking forward to highlights mm -hmm. tonight and NHL as well. Yes, the yep. Canucks, of course. Got it. Okay, sounds <laughs> good. After the break, more sports meet the goalie giving a whole new meaning to girl power. Stay with us. No matter how skilled they are, a lot of young athletes inevitably doubt themselves and their game at some point. And the Winnipeg teen you're about to meet is no exception, even though she's dominating between the goalposts among the guys. Here's Tegan Rash. Yeah, Reese. When Celeste Peltier helped her team win city and provincial championships last hockey season, it left her wanting more. And I thought a new challenge would be to go play boys and see how good I could do. So last fall, the 14-year-old goalie tried out for the Bruins AAA teams, but got cut. Pelche was immediately picked up by the AAA U15 Thrasher's White. We just picked the best players, and regardless of the name on the back, we wanted to build a team that we thought could compete. The Thrashers had a diverse roster full of first-year players, which also included a key weapon no other team in the league had, a female goalie. Whenever I go on the ice, I know like, I have a good chance of being really good at stopping a lot of pucks. Pelche did have to adapt her game. The guys are always just trying to score, so that was fun. The shots came faster and harder. <laughs> the competition is crazy because you got these huge guys that are like six foot whatever and they're shooting pucks at you. Pelche's stats speak for themselves. A 90 save percentage and a shutout against one of the teams that cut her. She's a really good teammate, helpful, uh, off and off, off and on the ice. 
We just see her as one of the guys. She's always been one of the guys towards us. Next season, she plans to go back to female hockey, playing for the Balmoral Blazers, with her sights set on playing in university and making the Canadian national team. I've already been approached by several D1 schools about her. The sky's the limit. She can probably play as high as she wants to play. No matter where Pelletier ends up, she never lets criticism or doubters get in her way. They said this to the coaches, they go, you're crazy for picking a girl in an 9 for goalies, and then, well, it turns out we ended up higher than them. Tegan Rasha, Global News. That is so cool. No better victory in that case than proving her critics <laughs> and her doubters That's wrong. Right. Way to go. Sweet revenge. Is there anything better? <laughs> That is all for us this evening. Thanks for being with us. Provincial highlights and NHL highlights tonight. We'll mm -hmm. see you right back here at 11 o'clock. See you then. Good night.